0: and welcome back to Pinstripe Pulse. A lot is happening in the MLB free agent market. We're going to go over some big numbers and what does that mean for the New York Yankees and the welcome back to pinstripe pulse my name is liam i'm joined by jake jake how's it going man
1: what's up liam just a busy day full of packing because i'm uh, off to europe for a nice little excavation for the next three and a half weeks or so so figured we'd get a few episodes in if we could um, right before this departure
0: what's your itinerary for our non-existent international fans to to meet up with you over there
1: I know we've got a big European market, but um, <laughs> I'm flying over to Barcelona <laughs> for seven days to start uh, tomorrow. And then from Barcelona, I'm meeting my family in Brussels, and then we're driving over to um, Bruges, and then we'll be in Bruges for pretty much Christmas. And then from there, we go to Paris, and then we'll be in Paris for like Christmas, New Year's, and then from Paris, we'll go to London, and then that's where I cap it off.
0: Nice. When we get big, we'll host some uh host some events next time we have a trip over there. See, oh, do fine. some meet and greets.
1: I'll do some scouting for pubs. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. How was uh, your day
0: at the uh? How was your day at the Adovino, uh, lab in Harlem?
1: Dude, what a treat, man. He is so cool. So um, little backstory. We talked about my buddy Alex Katz before. He's um currently an unsigned uh free agent. Uh, minor league pitcher at the moment so he's looking for a team and in the off seasons he trains over at Ottavino's pitching lab which is based in the city it's straight up a makeshift fucking like little abandoned building essentially that he turned into this awesome like it's literally what it sounds like pitching lab so it's got you know some high-tech gear in it um he can track you know TrackMan, man uh rap soto all that fun stuff so, I got to go over there yesterday. It was my third time total. Um, I think the last time was back in March. So, it was like right before the lockout. Uh, this time was really fun, though, just because everyone was kind of slowly but surely getting into that early ramp up phase. So, like everyone throwing maybe like 40% capacity, 50%. Um, but the ball was humming, let me tell you. And uh, Ottavino was, like I said, awesome. And he's a really cool dude. And, you know, got to meet a few other guys around the league. So, fun time.
0: That's great. And if you want to ah uh, if you want to see what a New York City uh, born and raised MLB players pitching lab looks like, uh, make sure to follow Jake on Instagram. and also you can find Jake on Instagram by following us at pinstripe Pulse pod uh, on Instagram, at pinstripe underscore pulse on Twitter. Um, we post stuff on the stories to keep up with the news and we'll post when we post content and everything. Um so make sure to give us a follow, share with your friends. And well, we're pretty active there. We've been getting more active on Twitter. Absolutely.
1: Um, you can find me anxiously um, just retweeting everything passing in Rosenthal. So, you know, probably, <laughs> like, remotes to of the Yankees.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm going to start trolling more in the comments. I heard that's how you get, uh, if you're, like, the first or second reply to those tweets. Yeah. Uh, that's and how you throw, get some follows.
1: I <laughs> need to throw lasagna in our, our name, too, because apparently that's big in uh, Yankees Twitter lore. <laughs> <laughs> Supposedly.
0: Supposedly. <laughs> we'll see. Well, thanks for coming back. Um, the last time you heard from us, we were um pretty elated about the signing of Aaron Judge coming back. But since then, um, I think judge was is the biggest contract likely, and we'll Correa just got a deal today. We'll talk about that. Um, I think judge's value set the market for a lot of these other marquee free agents. Um, we saw that from the Giants. The Giants were reserving money for Judge that didn't go to him and the Padres as well. So since Judge is off the board, we've had an explosion of moves. So we'll talk about some of those moves and what that means for the Yankees. And let's start with none other than um, the big bad man, uh, formerly of the Houston Astros, the he the man who embraces the villain, Carlos Correa. Jake, what do you think of that signing today?
1: What was that? 13, 330 something along those lines,
0: 13 years uh, for three thirty.
1: I mean, clearly the giants at this point were out for blood because uh, they missed out on judge big time. I think they missed out on a few other guys. Like Trey Turner was a guy that they might've been looking at briefly early on, but that was obviously not going to happen when they were still all eyes on judge. Um, it just felt like they were due for that one big splash and God, was this it, um, it, I think that Correa just matches what they need in terms of like that core piece for the middle of the infield. Now that Brandon Crawford's kind of at his decline and we've funnily enough kind of heard some rumors and it's not even real rumors. It's rumblings that Crawford would be a good fit for the Yankees at some point, just as like a little veteran presence. So that's something that we might be able to get into later. Um, But they definitely need that veteran who at the same time is young enough to really build around. And he's going to be there until age 40. He's only 27, 28. Um, so that's a huge piece for them to really work with moving forward.
0: Yeah. And we look at these big deals, you know, with the new CBA, I think the market is going back up where teams are trying to spread the AAV. They realize, you know, the rate of inflation, uh, the rate of increasing money that the league is making that, you know, that AAV what's do some quick math is that over it's, it's less than 30 a year, right? It's
1: like 28 something. 28 yeah. Yeah.
0: So 28 million, think of what the Yankees are paying right now for Josh Donaldson, right? I don't know. Um so in in 10 years, Carlos Correa, he he's one of the best defensive shortstop talents we have ever seen. He is yeah. a pretty solid hitter. The last two years he's had pretty plus offensive seasons. He's really butting into his own, you know, for all he all the hate he gets from the Yankees fans and from some of maybe not necessarily out of touch, but just trying too hard comments in the media um he's really well liked by teammates in 10 years carlos correa with the defensive tools that he has is going to be you know he doesn't rely on speed or immense strength necessarily he he has really good mechanics carlos correa i think can be a gold glove third baseman at 36 37 years old 10 years down in this deal and when the giants are paying him 28 million dollars a year, that's going to seem it's not gonna seem like a little bit of money. 28 I, I can't as a, a thousandaire myself, I can't tell you that twenty-eight million dollars is not a lot of money. So but it's
1: actually it, just under it's 25 point something.
0: 25. Yeah. So Alex Rodriguez was getting paid $25 million a year, and that was a massive 10, 15 years ago. And yeah. that was the biggest contract at the time. I think Carlos Carlos Correa doesn't have the high-end potential of A-rod, but in terms of being a solid contact hitter, um, someone who can hit anywhere between one and I mean he can hit anywhere between one and nine, obviously, but one to six in your lineup and be a, a plus wherever he's put, maybe not the fourth hitter in terms of power. Um, this is a rare time where I really like the entire duration of this contract. And Credit yeah. to Correa for for betting on himself last year, taking that short, you know, one-year deal with Minnesota. And I kind of feel bad for teasing Minnesota with the thought of this guy long-term. But um especially yeah. San Francisco was ready to spend. We talked about him with Judge being big players. Um, them giving out that contract, I like the fit for them and for him.
1: Absolutely. And, like, the thing is, Minnesota was really pushing hard for him to come back. They did love him there, and they did really see him the same way that uh, the Giants did. But I think that the Giants really kind of flashed their teeth with that uh, judge offer. And from that point on, it's like pretty evident that once you make that big of an offer to a player, you can't just go the entire offseason without matching that for someone else. Because if you do that, then you are leaving your fans with immense disappointment that is going to linger for a long time. As Yankees fans, we've definitely felt that before. So this was an essential move for them. And I think that he is overall, because you said he's an athletic, dynamic um, infielder who, honestly, his bat to me reminds me of slightly less pop. But this guy, like, let me know what you think about it. Um, Adrian Beltre. Yeah. That type That's of less
0: program. home run power. Yeah. Um, But yeah.
1: Solid, That's like, out. 280 hitter. You know, 285, 850 OPS. I'll take that any day of the week. Um, So... He's going to be a very, very strong piece for them for a long time.
0: Correa's career OPSs in full seasons. um, 2015, 100 games, 135 OPS plus. Followed by 124, 155 asterisk on that 2017 year. We'll see. Um, He was injured for a lot of 2018 and 2019. Um, In 2020, he had a bad year, but then he another resurgence 131 in 2021 140 last year in 136 games with minnesota he was really good i i think um you know uh, jeremy peña the current shortstop for the astros talks about Correa being like an essential mentor for him in spring yeah. training um in in a lot of the the offseason like bringing him out to work on his glove and obviously it worked with with peña um, I like this investment for San Francisco. And like you said, um, you know, Judge set the market and the Giants showed their hand. And when Scott Boris is your agent and you have teams openly bidding on Aaron Judge, um, it's hard to it kind of blew the twins out of the water with what the Giants showed they could do and what Boris goes to them and says, You have this money, why don't you spend it on my client? And that's where we can pivot to Xander Bogart's going yeah. to the San Diego Padres, another big shortstop. Who, where the Padres blew the next team, especially the Red Sox, out of the water with that deal? Dude,
1: that was what eleven years, two eighty, I believe, was the final number. Which is, I don't think anyone is was expecting to, uh, Xander to get that number, even though he's been criminally underrated for a long time. Um, this is a hard hit for the uh, Red Sox fans to, to swallow, and I think the entire organization is going to feel it uh, reverberate for a, mi- a minute now. Um. Think of what happened with Mookie when he left. They got Verdugo back, and no offense to Verdugo, great player, but at the same time, the return simply has not been worth it. Um, So the fact that they just let him walk without getting anything for him is uh, quite disappointing in that sense. So they're going to really have to compensate through the trade market. But, man, the Padres, um, they really – another team that went hard after Judge, and we weren't really expecting that. It makes sense just because Preller is a madman. And the entire ownership, I think, at this point, just wants to burn the world down. Um, but what, there was a, a rumbling of them offering Judge 14 years, I think, at one point. And, um, or they were on the cusp of doing so just to try to distribute the money right. And um, that would have probably been shut down just because that's unheard of. But, man, this team, they whiffed on Judge. They whiffed on Trey Turner for also a multiple year, con. I think it was like 11 years as well. Dude, that was going to be 41 at the end of that. So they were another team that just wanted to stockpile the middle infield and make them as strong as possible. Especially with Tatis on the shelf for the at least the first half of the season, I believe. And he could still like there's always a chance he gets moved just because they have a surplus at this point of talented middle infielders. And if he really shows um a, an unwillingness to go to the outfield, I can easily see him being moved.
0: Yeah, the Padres. Um, I saw a video a bit earlier. Uh, I think their t- two thousand nine or twenty ten opening day payroll was thirty six point two million dollars total. They were second to last in MLB. Um, now their pre-arbitration, I believe it's pre-arb. I'm not. It could be projected arb or doesn't include arbitration. Two hundred and thirteen million dollars on opening day next year which is right now the third highest guaranteed in baseball. Yeah. So I respect the, the Padres for going out. They're not a huge market. They have an owner who wants to spend money. He's not among the five or ten richest owners in baseball, but he knows he has a ton of money and he's spending it. He's investing in the team. This team is fun. Um, They're doing the old adage of travel team baseball, where you play with six shortstops. Um, those six shortstops being Xander Bogarts, who apparently is going to play shortstop. Hassan Kim, who was a really good defensive shortstop last year, um, at one in Tatis's place. At first base, Jake Cronenworth can play shortstop, has played shortstop for the Padres in the past, and is a plus plus defensive second baseman, um, and is a plus defensive shortstop. Manny Machado, who played shortstop to get himself a contract, and is one of the best uh defenders at third base in modern history, if not ever, and fernando tatis whose job was his in 2020 and all of 2021 and then he's lost it this year and now he might be he could be fourth or fifth on the depth chart for playing short mm-hmm. um so we'll see what happens with tatis is he an outfielder long term is he a padre long term um we've heard some yankees rumors there do you, what do you think of the yankees rumors for tatis
1: so it's really funny because we were actually talking about this before the rumors like actually got out in the stratosphere Um. I just had this crazy thought like, oh, what's this bigger move going to be? You know, like I, my brain just couldn't help but speculate. And obviously I didn't have any insider news or anything like that. But I just had a feeling. I was like, hmm, Trout doesn't really make sense. Otani would make sense, but I just don't think the Angels are going to try to move him right now. Um, and then Tatis comes to my mind just because he's likely disgruntled at this point with the organization. Um, if you look at his numbers in 2021, they're absolutely absurd he put up mvp caliber numbers and like those if he stays on that path for 15 seasons he's an easy first ballot hall of famer and then the motorcycle accident happens and then he gets popped for steroids within that same off season or same season it was in season uh while he was rehabbing just trying to probably get stronger but he used a pretty bullshit excuse i'm being honest um so there's clearly some friction within the organization about him because they understand how talented he is. And I can understand why teams would be reluctant to move to like trade for him. But at the same time, there's so much upside there and the 13 year contract does look daunting. But if you look into it, the numbers are not that insane. Um, I think he's making less than 30 million a year AAV. And if he were to hit the free agent uh, market right now, without the injury or steroid history, even with like the injury history, He'd probably be getting at least thirty-five to forty million just based off those numbers alone. We're talking about similar to Juan Soto, um. So, man, I would be thrilled if they got him. I know that a lot of Yankees fans are very reluctant for that, but any team that were to acquire him, I think, would quickly learn that they need to be pulling for this dude.
0: Yeah, and it's hard to project with Tatis what his role on a team looks like now with the injuries and with the with the slight not the slight on his character with his character issues that he that he's shown and those character issues being um no not that he's a bad person necessarily but it's a lack of professionalism in terms of um knowingly or somehow circumventing your team doctors or whatnot to take um allegedly unknowingly performance enhancing substances Right. So whether he was intentionally cheating or he was being uh, dumb and reckless, um, he he violated the rules as well as not respecting his body or his contract and and doing something that a person who a professional athlete who works and needs to covet their body, even as a young person, can't do getting paid that much money, which was riding a motorcycle. Um, also, apparently his. Apparently his brother is in tough condition, so prayers out to the Tatis family. Oh, please, um, okay. yeah, but 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 going back to Fernando Jr. I mean, I I can't give him a pass on any of this stuff because I understand, um, I understand people who come from humble means, who come from no money, and then elevate to this level of stardom and being rich that they don't necessarily mature properly. Um, and and that's probably true a little bit for Tatis. But his dad was a, an MLB professional. Um, he should have that system from when he was a kid um, of understanding what it takes to be an MLB player and the the seriousness of it. Um, so I, I think Tatis might be going rogue on his own. I know before that, part of the reason the Padres can spend so much money is because them being a small market, Tatis was the second or third highest selling jersey in MLB for a good two years. You go to the MLB flagship store in New York. Yeah. There was there was Judge jerseys up number one and Tatis were the second most being hung up around. He he is a premier face of baseball in the league before this the, year.
1: The marketing was insane with him. And then I think I'm pretty positive he lost his Adidas uh sponsorship as well. Yeah. So that's that's brutal. But um like this is a guy, if you put him in a big market, he's going to bring crowds. And if you put him in a smaller market, he's proven that he could actually bring crowds in as well. So this is a guy that if you spent if you're afraid of spending three hundred million for thirteen years with him, he's going to make all that money back for you in the first six years, like easy.
0: Yeah, and the thing is with Tatis, you know, in New York it could be an issue, but look at guys who have had that kind of, um, and there was no peds on their end, but this kind of persona, you know, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper specifically come to mind of being these young, um, you know, a little. Maybe a little aggressive, a little bit reckless on the field, off the field, um, when they're younger, and they've matured into being massive leaders for their teams. We we seen them, um, you know, really be like that veteran leadership on these teams, making deep playoff runs. You know, in this past postseason, it was evident for both Harper and for Machado. Um, you know, we saw at the end of last year, Manny Machado, uh, giving some lip to Tatis. You know, telling him to get his head out of his ass, basically and not sulk like you're you're the best player on this team you're the best player in the world you know um yeah. so i i don't think i think teams should try and strike now specifically the yankees because i think his value is as low as it will be ever again and i think it's a quality investment so that's what i'm can... saying
1: We don't like we don't know what the free agent market's going to look like in 2028 when i think he has his like first opt-out he might have an opt-out in 2028 um what if he at that point has turned it around completely and he's looking like an Arenado or a Machado or a Harper? What's he going to get a view at that point? Forty-five million. We have no clue what that kind of inflation is going to look like. So you might as well get him when he is low. And even though it it's it looks high right now, it really isn't.
0: Yeah, for sure. What do you think of another potential trade piece for the Yankees that we had floated, and and you specifically were on for a while, um, Sean Murphy, formerly of the Oakland Athletics, going yeah. in that three team deal to Atlanta?
1: Um, that song given up by Lincoln Park so <laughs> it comes to mind because um, what are they doing, man? Like they had apparently a much better offer on the table from the Cardinals. I forgot which prospects were involved but it was some high-end ones, and the Cardinals actually have a good farm system at this point. Whereas um, what they gave up from the Braves' standpoint, like the Braves got back a fantastic, probably top three catcher in the league behind Will Smith and Rimutio at this point. Um, The metrics on Murphy on every end are outstanding. His numbers are only going to get better going into a batter-friendly park Um, because he was playing in Oakland, which is not a great place to play offensively. This is a dude that could easily hit you 20 to 30 homers a season with like 90 to 100 rubies and 840 OPS, 900 OPS even on a good year. Um, You're looking at maybe like a Jorge Posada-like player with better defense. So that's crazy to think of because he's only 27 years old. Um, I know that the Braves fans were kind of conflicted about giving up Wilson Contreras, because he or William Contreras, William Contreras, yep, because he is a younger dude, and he's had one really good season under his belt. And I understand that, but we've seen a really young stud catcher ourselves firsthand named uh, Gary Sanchez start off really, really hot, and his defense just simply couldn't keep up. And then once his defense started to suffer, his bat started to suffer. So there is a trend with certain guys like that where there's a lot of upside, but there's a lot of risk as well in keeping that type of guy on the team. And I'm sure William was a great clubhouse guy. That's what it sounds like. He was a gem for the team and the, the fans really um, were endeared to him. But at the same time, man, like Sean Murphy is the way to go if you're looking to build for the future and the immediate present as well. And I think pairing him in the infield with a Matt Olson because they're around the same age, is going to be a fantastic core to build around for the next few years. I'd expect a contract extension within the next two or three months for about five to seven years easy for uh, Murphy.
0: Yeah, I wonder what they do with that because he has a few years of arbitration still left so they can get decent value for yeah. 2025. Yeah, and, and you say building for the present and for the future. It seems to be that's always the Braves' MO, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I saw some some people on Twitter, um, and some people on Twitter don't necessarily represent the grand ice thinking but they weren't being dumb but they were asking hey like the braves had a pretty good situation with Darno and contreras you know why go for murphy here and i say in baseball you have to upgrade any time that's available to you on a good deal the braves did not give up a lot in this deal like you said william contreras great hitter great rookie season he made the all-star team for the nl as the backup DH and he ended up starting because of the Bryce Harper injury. Yep. But the NL like the CBA was ratified in February. Mm-hmm. So the National League hasn't had time to go full throttle on signing guys to be DHs. You no, know, it's been kind of just an extra utility piece. You know, your your yep. ninth hitter basically. Mm-hmm. So Contreras had a really good season, but um how does that fit into the, the catching element? They preferred Darno, in every big game in the playoffs. He caught every yeah. game for them in the playoffs. I don't think Contreras got behind the plate in the postseason. Even the Braves had a short run, granted. but um, And you you need to have that elite defensive ability um, to be a, a prolonged catcher in this game to go 100 to 120 games. Sean Murphy has the bat and the defense that you can put him behind the plate for 120 games. The best on the market at his age, at his availability. I can think of JT Rail Muto being more um, well rounded. I would say maybe there are better catchers overall, but Sean Murphy at his age, at his controlled level for the Braves, perfect deal.
1: I mean, his defensive metrics too are comparable. Like they're respectfully comparable to, um, to our guy, Jose Trevino, who we love. We absolutely love Trevino, but there's no denying that you're upgrading on all cylinders when you bring in a bat like that because there's only upside at that point point. Um, and it's really going to be interesting because Murphy is only going to elevate guys like Spencer Strider who are very young and coming off of really good seasons Ian Anderson all these guys are still pretty young and they have a high ceiling and having a good play caller behind the plate who knows how to call pitches the right way and knows how to work and adjust on the fly with pitchers if they're struggling that's going to be huge for the Braves. They're all they're already at a good point where they're pitching. It's only going to get better because of this move.
0: Yeah, and to bring it back to the Yankees, which is what we're here for, yeah. Um. people also on Twitter, you know, we're talking about the Sean Murphy trade. When we did our show, I nixed the trade. Not, I didn't nix the trade. I went away from it just because of the money constraint. And I think we're seeing signs more and more that the Yankees are willing to push the boundaries of that money. And Sean Murphy is controllable. Jose Trevino um, will not have another offensive season like he had last year. That is his ceiling. So he's a great defensive catcher. But if we had both Sean Murphy and Jose Trevino, I think both of them can play 100 games between, I know that doesn't add up as catcher, but if Jose Trevino plays 90 to 100 games at catcher, Sean Murphy plays the other 60 to 70 and then DHs, That is an elite catching tandem. And you're not losing things depending on the matchup, putting Sean Murphy behind the plate, behind Jose Trevino, because the defensive metrics are comparable. Trevino is the best. Sean Murphy was a gold glove finalist and not like a bullshit gold glove finalist like some of the other guys were. He was legitimate. The fact that Juan Soto was a gold glove finalist, don't get me started. That's a joke, man. (laughs) Um, He was potentially the worst outfielder defensively in baseball this year, but that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, he can get real good though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I think baseball, uh, rightfully so, has started to realize when you're making diving plays and sliding plays, part of it is because you should have gotten there in the first place. Um, yeah. so a lot of
1: good
0: Yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, back to Sean Murphy. Um, I think that would have been a great deal for the Yankees, and I- I'm surprised how little the Braves gave up um i thought and part of the, another reason why i went away from it is because of the cost of our farm that it would have been so
1: we're not even touching volpe or dominguez or any of those guys we maybe give away Travis sweeney but like if you comparatively look at our farm compared to the braves farm their number one is more like our number 10 you know like we wouldn't be touching the top tier guys that we've got so if that was the case man like you better be saving that for a Brian Reynolds or someone along those lines, or even like, like we've mentioned before in our previous episodes, Pablo Lopez. It has to be someone that's worth that kind of uh, prospect capital because you could have leased them just the same way that the Braves did.
0: Yeah. And, you know, William Contreras is a big quote unquote prospect. I know he had full run in in MLB this year. I don't see him at a higher level than honestly, like a Gleyber Torres. You know, Glaber had some two great all-star offensive seasons, you know, in terms of hitting potential. If if William Contreras is not going to give you anything defensively, even if he's a bit better of a hitter than Glaber Torres, I think Glaber is a better, more proven player and his value is a bit down now with his recent seasons. But, you know, so I think that's what we'd be giving back in a trade. And maybe a low-level prospect, which is what the Braves gave up. So I'm surprised the Yankees didn't knock down that door more. Maybe it was a massive offer, and they just didn't want to do another deal with with the A's after the Montas deal and giving up Sears and Waldachuk, who were gonna be their what two and three or three and four starters. It seems like you know.
1: Yeah, the other way around. Yeah, Waldichuk's definitely gonna be like a two for them this yeah. season. Well, she wouldn't have probably even cracked the starting rotation for the Yankees. I mean, with Tyone gone, maybe he would have been like a swing guy. But if I'm an A's fan, I'm like, what are you doing, man? Just If kidding. I'm an
0: A's fan, I'm not.
1: <laughs> I'm, moving <laughs> over the day. I'm moving over to the Giants, man. Because, like, why wouldn't you? You've got uh, stud shortstop there for the next 13 years. Meanwhile, your highest paid player is probably Tony Kemp right now.
0: He's their leadoff hitter.
1: He is, that's
0: terrible. For sure. Yeah. Um.
1: So they flipped the lineup and didn't do anything to actually make it better.
0: Serious over under, fifty five wins for Oakland. Under. Under. Forty five.
1: I want to see forty six. <laughs> like a nice they, even number.
0: If they go under fifty, I, legitimately think it is grounds for. For commissioner and the owners to take the team from the ownership group, Absolutely. Um, I think this is a, a travesty. Is real dramatic. It, it's disrespectful to a competitive business yeah. to not be competitive intentionally. They're like it is a business, but what other businesses don't try and have a successful product that are yes. multi level yeah. marketing schemes? Like ultimately. You are there to make money, but the part of the goal is to have a successful product, or or you're literally scamming, or like it is fraud. It is fraud if you just try to make money and do not put out a competitive or quality product because you're taking money from people. And I credit the A's fans who are not going to games, who are not watching the team, because you cannot reward them with this money because they're they're not putting out a winning product. This is a it it's it's so disrespectful to the game um and also like borderline i don't know the business legalities of it i'm sure it's it's very gray area yeah Yeah.
1: i mean like business 101 or accounting 101 you generate revenue by bringing in a lot of assets because they generate you revenue naturally that's what they do and they up your product so like why wouldn't you be stock loading that you don't have to bring you don't have to go crazy like the Padres or even do what the Yankees did with the Judge signing but there are ways to make it, you know, fairly economical without completely breaking the bank and then also still improving your team. So, it's just ridiculous and people get on Steve Cohen right now. Like there's a lot of people that are like seeing him as a villain because of what he's done with the Mets this season, which we will definitely talk about shortly. But If you're looking at it, who's the real fucking villain here? Cohen, who's trying to improve his team to the best of its abilities with his money? Or an owner that is just neglecting an entire fan base and bringing down the rest of the league? So this is a proper grounds to actually think and consider strongly about a salary floor.
0: I agree. And I I think we should pivot there to Cohen, because I hope he has some... Um, baseball interested, like nephew or in law, who he can give a a tenth of his money, not a tenth, he can get a, a hundred or a thousandth of his money to you to buy this Oakland A's, give them a stadium, give them a team, um, because I think Steve Cohen right now is paying the the A's payroll about six times over, um, Kodai Senga from Japan, David Robertson at a one year ten million dollar deal, Brandon Nimmo for a long time um jose quintana and justin Verlander. we didn't speak about i know what happened before the judge signing yeah. they're sure. going big
1: oh go ahead sorry
0: oh no go for it
1: uh like so it seems like with sanga they made him kind of the uh, pivotal long-term if you want to call five years a long-term contract for pitching um and it was very cost effective it was a, what 15 million a year for 75 million total That's a great deal for a dude who has tons of upside. And if you look at him, he's topped out at 102. Um, This is a guy who is very versatile. He'll probably be a number three, four realistically for them, which puts like little pressure on him whatsoever. Like this is the best case scenario for him because he doesn't have to come in and be the ace. Um, On the flip side, they really went out and they got Furlander for three years. And then they got um, Quintana for, was it two or three years as well, for a very cost-effective deal. So they bought, they built pretty much a very reliable core of, like, older, more seasoned veterans that actually know what they're doing and they know how to eat innings really well while still being very effective on the mound. Um, it's the ultimate recipe for success, in my opinion. And I think they're still waiting for that final domino, uh, domino to drop with the uh, positional players because they still, I think, want one more left fielder. And then they want maybe a third baseman to look at as well, but I mean, Cohen. If you have him as your owner, like, what more can you ask for at this point?
0: And I want to give some credit to Billy Epler here, yeah. Because I think Billy Epler really gets overshadowed. Billy Epler, the general manager for the Mets, um, he, he's in a GM's dream situation right now to get as much money as he is able to get from Steve Cohen. But if you look at some of these deals. Kodai Senga, you know, we we look at the variation of these Japanese pitching talents. You have, um, obviously, there's Shohei. Shohei is almost out of the equation. But the high end, you have, like, Masahiro Tanaka. And on the low end, you have, like, Yusei Kikuchi. And even Kikuchi has shown that he can be, you know, a five. He's had some bad years of a four or five level. Kodai Senga at $15 million a year for the next three years. And then are there player opt-outs for four and five? team up
1: i don't are there i don't I th- think so
0: I, I think there's player opt-out after year three okay
1: let me see
0: where Sangha can take the money or he can go back to japan if he's if he's not comfortable which um you check it fact check me um, yeah. in case i'm wrong but i'll keep going i'm on um, it
1: 75 million guaranteed um that's
0: see. five years 15
1: yeah very clean um Player option twenty six and twenty seven.
0: Yeah, so that fits with our window. So if Kanga, if Kanga, if Kodai Senga flops, he's not comfortable in the U.S. Um, after three years, he goes back to Japan. And even if he's a level four or five starter, fifteen million. Look at what, um, look what Syndergaard just signed for.
1: Just signed for thirteen million.
0: So Noah Syndergaard is a four or five. Kodai Senga has one not on this Mets team. He has one potential in a lot of starting. Pitch pitching paths um, over the course of the league he's going to be a number three locked in at his like at best behind two first ballot hall of famers justin verlander and max scherzer so that's a great deal for epler yeah Kitana also a good deal nimmo you give you put the more years really low aav you know nimmo might lose some of that athleticism but you know, five, six years from now, if Nimo is not performing, I know he's he's only thirty. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's not performing, he he's gonna get on base at a high rate, like he's been doing. He'll play solid defense. He's he's a great he's a pretty solid center fielder. He'll go back to the corners where he's been. And that's an easily tradable piece six years down the line. Like this is, this is great for the Mets. Like, Absolutely. Epler is, is doing well with some of these deals. And they have a lot of money, so that's how they can afford to go after so many different guys and negotiate with so many different agents at once and and find deals that work for them because there is that, that blank check, more or less.
1: I mean, they were in on Korea up until last night. So, like, they still have somehow payroll of flexibility, if you even want to call it that. It's just fuck you money at this point. Um, they just have it to work with. And Epler, like you said, is doing a fantastic job. And one thing about the uh, pitching rotation, it's going to be stronger inevitably because we can all just state the obvious fact that DeGrom is probably the most talented pitcher in the world when he's healthy and on the mound. He was he played a third of the season, if you're looking at his starts. Like, he played, what, 10, 12 starts last season. Um, now you're going to get two pitchers that can go – 30 games, which is at least another 100 innings. Um, so they have, they're have they putting themselves in a lot better position to win later in the season, whereas they did kind of falter to the Braves towards the end of the year because one team had slightly better pitching that was a little bit more durable, and the Mets kind of were in a weird situation where you can tell that Scherzer was having to battle, and you don't have DeGrom back, and when he does get back, he's still not 100%. So having the arms that they have in now that's going to help them big time down the the home stretch of the season. And you should see like an extra 10 wins potentially.
0: Yeah. And it's not like for like, because one is over five years and one is over two, three year contracts. But um the total contract that Jacob deGrom got from Texas is the same amount of money committed. The Mets committed to Kodai Senga plus Justin Verlander plus Jose Quintana. And yeah. Jacob Degrom is a generational pitcher. I live a a short train ride away from Citi Field. I used to love to go to games that Jacob Degrom would pitch. I would ask my friends with season tickets to bring me on Degrom throw days. He's thrown some of the best innings of baseball I've ever seen live. Um, you have to say that Verlander, where he's at now, the other <laughs> another Cy Young winner from this year with less injury issue despite the recent Tommy John, plus Senga, a high-end Japanese talent that throws over 100 consistently, and Jose Quintana, you can't say that that doesn't improve your team, especially given what DeGrom has given you in terms of staying on the field the last two years.
1: Yep. And uh cool thing with Berlander is just because it, it was that one isolated elbow injury, given it was a significant one he can kind of wipe the slate clean and gaslight us into thinking that injury never fucking happened. <laughs> like that's just the type of pitcher he is he is so repeatable and he's never had injury issues before in his career. And then he comes back last season and throws 175 innings. So not more you can ask for.
0: Yeah, and and Verlander and Scherzer for the bets more so than DeGrom, you can rely on that heavy inning eater. You know that De- DeGrom for a lot of the last two years, he. Uh, Jacob Degrom threw the best three innings of baseball I've ever seen in my life. We were like, both at that game. We were both at that game. It was in June of 2021 when he. It was his last game, I think, of the year.
1: Yep.
0: Um, right, and I I remember it because they had just that day started enforcing the sticky stuff rule where they were yeah. going to throw people out of the game. Degrom went three innings, eight strikeouts, perfect. Um, and he came out. He came out in the third inning. And he went straight down the tunnel. We and we saw from our seats, straight down the tunnel into the locker room. And my friend Ray, shout out to Ray, works in uh worked at the time in the Mets Clubhouse. And we, we shot him a text and we're like, Hey, like, what's the what's the deal with Jake? Um, and Ray's like, I can't say anything, nor do I know anything, but he's like not happy. He was like screaming. Um and so a lot of his starts around were like, "Oh, is DeCrom going to go five? Is DeCrom going to go six today?" Um, Verlander and Scherzer can give you, all right. Today they're going seven, and playoff game they're going eight. They can go nine. You know that that's what they can provide you. That DeCrom, despite all of his talent and how great he is, has not been able to give you since twenty nineteen.
1: You're going from Kerry Woods to Nolan Ryan. Exactly. It's easiest comparison I can make.
0: Yep. So a few other pitchers that uh, were floated around for the Yankees uh, back into the rotation um, off the board. A Ross Stripling to the Giants, Chris Bassett over to Toronto, um, as well as Sean Manaya. Uh, what do you think is the biggest loss for the Yankees there?
1: I mean, I don't think they ever were in on this guy, but I really like what Bassett did last year, just because he was such a reliable arm. He pitched over 180 innings, and that immediately is going to earn you like a contract of at least 15 million a year at this uh, market rate. Um, and he did that; he got 21 a year AAV, and um, that's huge. He had a 3.42 ERA, so this is just a consistent back end guy who ended up being more of a three for the Mets, just due to all the injuries. Um, even a two at times. So he showed that he can pitch in New York city. So that might've been a loss that we didn't even really look into. And I don't think the Yankees even kind of cared to look into. I don't think he was ever on the radar because Rodone is the ultimate target there. Um, whereas on the other hand, you've got Manaya who's kind of a reclamation project because he did have such a bad 2022. He was not good. Um, but 2021 and even last, uh, yeah, I guess 2021 at the end of the season, we kind of had a feeling that he might've gone to the Yankees in a trade from Oakland. Um, it was either going to be him or Montas. And obviously we ultimately ended up with Montas, but um, we thought Manaya was maybe the more consistent, reliable one with less injury history um, that could just eat innings for you, which he can still do. But um, we ended up getting Montas who <laughs> we all have our opinions about that trade now. And like in hindsight, didn't end up that great, but um there's not much you can do about that. Maybe trade him, but I mean, he gets three years um, AAV and ends up with 26 million a year. I'm pretty sure. So solid deal for a guy that can potentially re reacclimate his job and um, reaffirm that he is a decent starter. And then on the other end, you have the same exact value and years for Ross Stripling, who's a guy that we drafted in our player draft. And he was a, such a low key um pitcher and just a starter for the Blue Jays last season where he was a low three guy and I think he had about 130 to 140 innings it wasn't a crazy number but it was enough to like really kind of get him over a hump at one point because they did struggle keep in mind when the Yankees struggled throughout that big gap they were losing a lot of games too that's why they never covered ground on us so I think by um, you know the Giants ending up scooping him up that effectively hurt the Blue Jays in a little bit of a way because he was such a reliable arm for them. Um, Stripling, I thought, might have been a sneaky little move if the Yankees did miss out on a Rodone. Um, might be a good guy to bring in as like a three or a four, especially losing time, uh mo you know. So it sucks that we don't get him, but at the same time, I don't really think he still fully was a key target for the Yankees in the first place. I don't think they ever fully looked at him.
0: Yeah, I think... I lean toward Ross Stripling as that value piece. Um, I would hope, like you said, I think really all the good valuable starters are are off the board now. Um, and I think that means that we have to go after Rodon, and I think we want to go after Rodon. Um, with Bassett, I never really liked that fit as much for the Yankees, just because I don't think Bassett has Cy Young potential or number one potential. I think he would be a number one for some bad teams. Um, He was really serviceable for the Mets, you know, as that number two uh, throughout a lot of the year when DeGrom was down. Um, But I think the money always seemed a bit big, you know, and in terms of what Radon is is demanding on an AAV value, um, you know, Bassett got about 21 or 22 million.
1: 21 on the dot.
0: 21 on the dot. And Rodon uh, at the high end is looking like 30. Um, yeah. I do think there is a 9 million difference, a good 9 million difference between Rodon and Bassett for sure. And you look at the objective of what the Yankees are trying to do. Um, you know, our, our series this year um, in the playoffs, we won two Garrett Cole starts and a game five at home. End of list. So like, n- not to say our pitchers did poorly, but Rodon is that is in that tier with Garrett Cole, given yes. with his recent performance. Garrett Cole gives it to you year in year out, but I think for the Yankees to really make a difference, I like I would rather spend thirty million on a guy who has that high end dominant potential, because um, I think that the nine year the nine million dollars extra you spend on him has a higher payoff in terms of the team's objectives. So that's where I, I always liked. And uh, I, I didn't really like the Bassett trade. I was obviously prefer Rodon over all of these guys. Yeah. Um, Manaya's inconsistency scared me, um, especially given Montas. Like, I, I know it's not the same person. It's it's a different scenario. But Oakland might have tapped into a level of comfort. But he even showed a lot of struggles towards the end of his time at Oakland. And as well in San Diego, he was solid um Ross Stripling I always thought was a good deal for the money he was getting you know Manaya was getting high money for that high end potential that he showed before um Stripling never had that you know number 1 number 2 kind of stuff but last year he was sneaky really good for the Blue Jays had some really good stats um we obviously saw him a lot more than most pitchers and I would have I would have loved him sliding in as our number 4 number 5 arm um to have him in Montas like if strip, if Bontas goes back to being good and striplings are number five, I think that would have been perfect. But let's just shift everyone down. Let's get Rodon number two. man.
1: Why not? Yeah. Why settle when you can get a second ace like truly. Um, And then what makes me more excited about Rodon? Like I was already elated about this guy. But if you go back and watch a lot of his games from this past season, his velocity rose going later into the game. And that's always a key indicator for me that he's not a guy that just empties the tank the first three innings and then he can't figure out how to pitch from that point on. No, he like saves some stuff in the tank for later on and he just gets better throughout the game, which is guys like what Garrett Cole does and then also what Verlander does. We saw both guys do that in the playoffs. So that's just something to be really excited about. And um, yeah, I think they've been just saving their money for that big splash because they could have settled for one of these guys that would have been a four or a three or a five. But at the end of the day, it's like, why do that when you can actually get a fortified ace?
0: Yeah, and that um that increase in velocity towards the end of the year, towards the end of a game is really healthy for a starting pitcher. Like that is something not necessarily improves their health, but kind yeah. of demonstrates their health and their comfort. I mean um so yeah. in terms of a postseason performer, like you want to see that level of pitcher.
1: Yeah, and I think that what we can all say that Garrett Cole gets a lot of grief from fans at from time to time, but one thing you can't knock him for, other than the little hamstring injury that he remind you he played through it in the playoffs in 2021, he is the most durable pitcher that I've seen the Yankees have in a long time, and he just he goes out there and he's willing to give eight innings every outing, and obviously we know that Carlos Rodon has his own injury history. And it's not a clean, clean record for the most part. But the last two years, he's been really good. And there was a little bit of worry about dead arm in 2021. But I'm going to look at most recent memory. Um, That's the best sample size to use because it's the biggest sample size to use. And he's just looked better and better every time he goes out there. And I can guarantee you that Cressy and Matt Blake would work diligently to make sure that he is at top class health, you know, moving forward especially if they do commit to a six year, seven year deal.
0: And Rodon is, it's no fluke. Um, Cy Young type season in 2021 until he faded off at the end because of some injury. And then last year, full season led MLB, mind you, like including Sandy Alcantara and Justin Berlander in FIP, yeah. um, which is, you know, fielding, independent pitching, basically, ERA expected ERA um, taking away, like, your fielders um, and park factor. So I think he's transferable to the Yankees, and he's ideal. Um, Our last big opening uh, is left field, it seems, and there's a few left fielders out in the market, but, you know, Nimmo as an option is gone. Um, Where do you see us going for left field right now?
1: This is a tough one because, like, I think that I would be more than happy with Benintendi just because he proved that he could be a very big impact bat for us just as that contact guy. But I think if you want to aim high, you go for a Brian Reynolds. But also the Yankees need to prove a willingness to move bigger prospects because that is going to realistically take at least a Dominguez at minimum and then add on um, Everson Pereira and guys like that towards the back end of that deal. You're going to have to move a lot of prospect capital for that to happen. So I don't I think that's more on the I'd say there's a 10 percent chance, 15 percent chance of that happening right now, realistically, unless they do say, fuck it, we're going balls to the wall, clear a little bit of payroll and then bring this guy in Um, because he is, I think, a free agent after 2025, I want to say. So that's a lot of control for a really good player um, outside of him. I think the most realistic trade route they could go is probably with the D back guys. And I liked the theory of bringing in Dalton Barshow, the more that I looked into his numbers, the more dynamic he looks to me and he does catch as well. And rather than having to rely on Ben Rortfett, who really hasn't proven that he, he didn't, he literally didn't prove that he could stay on the field at all. He never made it to the field. Um, so I'd rather platoon Trevi and Barshow, honestly, and still get production offensively who this guy can move over to left field at any given time and still steal you 16 to 20 bases a season. Um, And he's got potential pop from, you know, like in Yankee stadium, I think his power numbers would uptick. Um, He does strike out quite a bit. That is a red flag. Um, But I think him, you know, like that makes a lot of sense, or even like a Jake McCarthy, who's more on the other side of that spectrum where he's a more high contact guy. But if you look at his metrics, um, Baseball savant's not too kind to him other than sprint speed. <laughs> yeah. So it's, but he is a lefty bat. So like I could see them seeing him as a project, you know, and it's like a better version of Tim LaCastro essentially. um So I don't hate that necessarily. I would want to see what you can give up. And like, if you're really going to go all in on a trade with D-backs, see what they're listening on with uh Zach Gallen. I don't think that it's a guaranteed lock that he is going to stay there forever. um So if you could try to get a Gallen in that, you get a two in your rotation through the trade route. And then you get a decent left field option as well. Um, That's a really good scenario that I think is more realistic, honestly, than anything else. Um, Another option is they bring in a Michael Conforto for a year as like a reclamation, you know, proven deal, which is potentially possible because he's a Boris client. So I could see them going for Rodon and him and they'll probably get a decent, what you think maybe like 14, 15 million a year. He's not going to make the qualifying offer, even though a healthy Comporto easily makes the QO.
0: I would think 15, yeah.
1: Yeah, something like that, which isn't bad at all, but it's like really like they'd have to start clearing payroll for these types of moves to be made.
0: You think he's looking for over a year?
1: I think, I don't know. I think that he might follow in uh, Bellinger's footsteps because Bellinger turned down a lot of multi-year deals and even uh, Syndergaard did it. This, I mean, I know pitching is different, obviously, but. Um, These guys are getting three to four year deals that are more team friendly, I think. And um, they just I think these guys want to prove that they're still young enough to hit the market again running. And what's the market value going to look like next year? Because it's we've already saw a big inflation this season. Um, So I think that's a very potential. It's still like lower tier in terms of, I think, possibilities, but it's still viable. And then the last one that has been brought up is trading with the Twins for um, Max Kepler, who he had one really good power season in 2019. I think he had 36 homers, 90 RBIs. But he's kind of fallen off ever since that point and been at best a below average player. Um, But (laughs) I wouldn't put it past the Yankees to make that kind of move just because that is a very Yankees move. Um, We've seen stuff like that before from them. And maybe they strike gold with it, but that's like kind of a worst case scenario for me if I'm being honest and then one more one if I'm like trying to aim bigger like real big because they were talking about the big trade or the big move that the Yankees got going on that's bigger than Rodon I think it could include maybe the Brewers for a Christian Yelich, because that is a huge contract and I don't remember what the exact AAV is but it is under 30 million former under yeah way under team friendly Mm -hmm. I think it's it's like 23 Exactly. So this is a guy who's still a slightly above average player even though he fell off. He didn't fall off quite the same way that Bellinger did. Um so he does provide value and he is a good defensive player. But the question is like how much would that cost um prospect capital wise and then on top of that can you pair him with like <laughs> aim high baby Devin Williams or you know one of their starters like a Brandon Woodruff? Like if that's potentially like in the mix I say you go that route but there's a lot to consider there. So, what are you thinking though?
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm more pessimistic on um a long term long any more than a one year free agent deal right now. Yeah. And I think it's because the Yankees are in on Rodon and kind of honing in. And I think at this point, looking at the market, they're more comfortable. Okay, we have Hicks. We're fine with our comp with our platoon combination of Hicks. Oswaldo Cabrera and then when Giancarlo Stanton plays the field next year. Um like we would rather upgrade this top level pitcher than have to shell out like a fifteen million over three years for Ben Intendi um or whoever or, or Nimo long term and then I take swear. yourselves out of that. So I think Conforto, the one year deal I kind of like because it matches the timeline of, of some of the kids if we're not gonna trade them away. Yeah. Um then in terms of the trade pieces, I think Brian Reynolds is going to cost a lot, and though I do like him. It really depends on what they're willing to part with. Um, Dalton Show is interesting just because I think it would be a funny roster move for the Yankees to go yeah. Trevino as their catcher, and then Dalton Bar as their backup catcher, and yeah. IKF is their third string, like ICE, sure. you know? I mean, and I... then bring up Rort Vet as needed, you know, like part ways with Higgy. I love Higgy, but like... Yeah if there's an injury like long term you know in game you bring in varshow or ikf if Varsho is like playing or vice versa we and love then... players who can catch yeah like why not i think that would that would be a funny scenario even though varshow is not good defensively and not not too great offensively i honestly i like the conforto deal i would love the christian yellish deal um I mean, yeah even for how he's performed the last few years um, I'll take his, his defense is is solid and I think that he can find a porch at Yankee Stadium. Um he can be really good potentially and you know being backwitch on Carlos Stanton, who's a friend of his from back his back in his Miami days, um I looked up his contract two fifteen over nine years. That's twenty three point eight million.
1: Yep. And he was still a one eleven OPS plus guy last year. Yep. So it's not terrible at all.
0: It's much Maybe better than we've had in left field.
1: That's a very athletic outfield too, with Judge already there and Bader and center, and then you've got Yelich right next to him. Like I honestly take that, especially in a playoff situation.
0: And Christian Yelich has a seven hitter.
1: <laughs>
0: eight hitter. I'll I'll take it before like, Mvp.
1: I know his power's been down too, but like this is a dude who can like he hit forty five homers not too long ago or whatever it was. He could probably hit you twenty five thirty jacks in uh, Yankee Stadium by learning that uh, short porch.
0: Yeah, if if he does what he did in Miami before he was in Milwaukee, I think that's amazing for Yelich. I mean, he played center field when he was younger, like he'll he'll be pretty solid defensively. His arm isn't great, but in terms of Yankee Stadium and left field, especially with Bader there, you're looking for a range. Yeah. Um, And Yelich can can give you that more so than Hicks can, more so than even the athletic Oswaldo Cabrera can, just because he's not a left fielder. He's not an outfielder.
1: The only thing that would suck about losing Benintendi is I, I personally think that looking at uh, the contract that Nimmo got, I think he's going to get around 6 one twenty, like realistically, or like, you know, somewhere maybe between the qualifying offer and $20 million, um just because he did have such an up year last season, and he is 27-20, I think he's 27 so he's a young guy, and like if you sign him, it's six... more
0: than three years to me, it's not worth it on Ben so and Jendi.
1: The only reason that I like say that the selfish side of me is that I have a feeling that he would go to the Astros. So if he goes to the Astros, you have to counter pretty well, because um, they're going to get better by having that contact bat. It's just inevitable. So if you do that, like Yelich is kind of the perfect counter to that.
0: Those fuckers.
1: <laughs> Sobs.
0: Is Michael Brantley a free agent still?
1: Yeah, he's another one who could go on like a two-year deal or a one-year deal with an option. Yeah.
0: Um, I think he's a bad option defensively for Yankee Stadium left field, unfortunately. Yeah. I would love Conforto. I'm kind of talking myself into Conforto if he's willing to do the one-year flyer. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Boris is – Boris.
1: Boris is going to try to want to maximize the money. If it's not for a three-year deal or a four-year deal for what uh, Conforto is getting, it's going to be for one-year AAV. He's going to want like fifteen, sixteen million. $16 yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting situation just cause like, I think Brantley three years ago would have been a great option, but he got injured last year and he is like 37 at this point. So mm-hmm. 36, um, and he's losing his, and it's the same thing with like JD Martinez is also a free agent. He's going to end up on a team, but he is solely a one-dimensional DH at this point. So if you're looking at only the bat, then it looks great, but beyond that, what are you going to do?
0: Another option that we had last episode that's gone is Yoshida to the Red Sox, which I, I find really interesting, for yeah. them. Um, but I, I don't think it would have it would have been cool. You know, what we we gave the Matsui comparison in terms yeah. of what they what he gives defensively and that hit potential.
1: I mean, the Red Sox are paying a lot for him though because it's five for a hundred, so it's twenty million a year, and then on top of that they pay the posting fee, which is like an extra like twenty million a year or something or twenty million total. So it's like five for 120, um, which it's a hefty penny for a dude who hasn't played in the league. I think he will do well. But keep in mind, this is the move that they made while replacing their best bat or best contact bat, at least with Bogarts. Um, so it, it's really risky for that reason. He is youngish, but he's got plenty of experience in uh, NPV. But it'll be interesting where they have to go to because I think that they're probably going to get in on the trade market as well. And just as a Yankees fan, I'm always going to be greedy. And if I see them trying to make moves, I'm going to want to try to get that guy as well. So,
0: i inter- AAV was only 25.5. Yeah. Like, I, I, I know it's – the difference is literally like $150 million because of the years. But – do the Red Sox not think they're going to make that money with with Sander Bogarts on their team
1: long term? I genuinely don't understand it. And what also confuses me, too, like they run it right now, like a small market team is like just the vibe that they're giving off. But um, they tur- I think he turned down 30 million for a year. It was the extension that they tried to give him after the 2021 season. And like that just is a slap in the face to a dude who has been with you through thick and thin through the, like, rebuild and then also the championships. So that just really is a low blow from them in that sense. But they better have something up their up their sleeve in order to uh, to get back in good graces with that fan base. That's for sure.
0: Yeah.
1: Time Bloom is probably on the hot seat.
0: I mean, I'll take it. Fifth yeah. place Red Sox, uh, we have enough to deal with. Mm-hmm. All right, I think that's it for the effects on the Yankees end. Got anything you want to get in before we close?
1: I think we're set on this one. Honestly, we we covered a lot.
0: Yeah. All right, Jake. Thank you, my friend. Enjoy your trip to the lovely Barcelona. Um, thank you. check in with all those players for me. I'm a big fan. You know, bring. I'll I'll give you some of the the inside tips. Walking around, maybe.
1: Good because I know absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an in blind.
0: All right. Um, and if this is the last episode you hear before the holidays, uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah to all those who were listening. Um, and we'll talk to you very soon.
1: Yep. Hopefully, we'll wake up with the rodon under our tree. So of
0: course, make okay. sure to follow us along on Instagram to stay tuned with that. Look for us on YouTube and Spotify at Pinstripe Pulse Pod on Instagram and TikTok, and Pinstripe underscore Pulse on Twitter. And we'll talk to you guys soon.
1: Peace.